here we are, the 1st of December. Made it to the 12th month of the year. I sort of feel like, whoa, Christmas is coming. That's, that's wild. So in, um, what we do in, in the church is we're like, Christmas is the big day. Um, but kind of to really like get the most out of the journey, we say, let's like actually really consider what Christmas means to us. What does Jesus' birth mean? Let's kind of journey towards that. And so there's um, these kind of four key themes that um, it's kind of suggested, like you can maybe explore these in the journey towards Christmas. And those are hope, peace, joy, and love. Things which Jesus coming to earth um, begins the kind of full restoration of those things. His, his life and his death on the cross um, kind of seals up the victory of those things for us um, in, the, in the fullness of all things coming together. Um, and we live with a kind of partial knowing of that. We live in the longing to fully, to fully realize those things. And so this is the first week of Advent, and so we're exploring this theme of hope. Um, and so, yeah, I've been thinking, been thinking a little bit about hope, and I wanted to read to you guys from Romans. So in Romans 8, 24 to 25, um, there's this little bit about hope, which I think is really telling. So it says, hope that is seen, there's no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we wait for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. So I think hope is this beautiful, inspiring word. But what this passage kind of points out is that there's, you don't hope for what you've already got. Implicit in, in hope is a waiting, is this kind of discomfort, actually, because it's not here yet. And I think the, I think the thing about waiting that's uncomfortable for us is that there's a sense of um, being out of control or not having, having power. You're kind of just there. When will things change? When will my fish and chip order come? Don't know. Just, just here at the mercy of the fish and chip man, at the mercy of, you know. So tonight, this, the big story that we're looking at is from the start of Luke. And it brings, um, yeah, that, that feeling of, of hope and waiting is what I'd love for you to kind of bring into thinking about this because... Tonight we're talking about Zechariah. So Zechariah was a priest um, who um, lived in kind of ancient, ancient, ancient Jewish society. And so he had these kind of religious duties that he performed to God. Um, as a priest, he, he was married and he and his wife had been trying to have children for a really long time, we're told. And in that culture, to, um, to not have kids was like considered quite a source of shame. And so I think that um, probably for them, there was a, a real grief that their hopes had not been fulfilled in the space of, of wanting to have kids. And this story about Zechariah and his, his wife, wife Elizabeth is kind of a parallel to another story of a childless couple that we read about in the Old Testament. So there was another couple called Abraham and Sarah who were also trying to have kids and were kind of too old to have children who God made a covenant with and said, hey, you guys are actually going to have kids and I'm going to bless your kids and I'm going to be at work in the story of your family to bless the whole world. And so there's this parallel going on here where um, in the Old Testament, a long, long, long time ago, there was Abraham and Sarah who um, were people who didn't have kids, maybe had, had hoped to have kids and it didn't happen. And God said, yep, actually, I'm going to bless your family. You're going to have kids. And then here we are again, in this moment with Zechariah a couple of thousand years ago where um, God shows up in Zechariah's life and says, hey, you and your wife are going to have kids. 
So this is, this is the bit where we jump into the story. So an angel appears to Zechariah and says, You and your wife will have a son, and you will call him John. He will turn Israel back to their God and prepare the people for the Lord. But Zechariah doesn't believe what he's told. And I think we can probably understand why, right? Like in places where you've maybe really hoped for something and then been disappointed in the, in the past, we kind of get a little bit guarded. We get a little bit weary of, mm, is it safe to, to kind of hope for this again? But I think it's interesting that both in the, in the case of Abraham and Sarah and here with Zechariah, God specifically goes to those places where our hope has been really stretched and says, yeah, I'm going to restore your hope in this space. And so um, he says, I actually, I don't believe you. And the, the angel says to him, look here, I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to give you this message. But because you don't believe me, you will be mute until the baby is born. And I think, I think that's quite funny in a sense because it's almost like... Um, him, him losing his speech is a bit of a sign, it's a bit of a flex from God. Um, like it's a bit of a sign of God's power, which probably gave him more faith. Like, oh, God actually does have power. And so I found that kind of interesting. Like it, it seems like a bit of a dick move by, by God, but actually in a way would have been kind of encouraging. Like, oh, whoa, okay. Um, so for whatever reason that happens. And then a few months later, nine months probably, the baby is born, and relatives um, come come around Elizabeth and say, "I'm so great. There's a baby. What are you going to call him? You're going to name him after his father, surely?" And she said, "No. Um, his name's actually going to be John." And they're like, "What? That's crazy. No one in your family's called John." And they sort of signal to Zechariah, who still can't speak, and um, he he writes down on a tablet and says, "No, no. She's right. His his name is John." And right at that moment. Um, his lips are unsealed, kind of zoop, um, opened up again, and he, he speaks. And this is what we hear from his lips. So Luke 1, 68 to 79, if you've got a, a Bible with you or a seasonal guide. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from his enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, baby, you will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. And I think this bit is just, yes, yeah, super beautiful, this last bit here. Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven, to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the path of peace. And this kind of um, imagery of the, the sun rising in the darkness is, is similar to that that you read of in Isaiah 60, where it says, the glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. So Zechariah prophesies saying, whoa, this God has been faithful to his promises and this is happening now. And he says to them, there's, there's something bigger that's about to happen. 
he's kind of testifying to like, wow, I've somehow, me and my wife, even though we're really old, managed to have this baby. And um, obviously he's had some kind of other um, insight from God. And because he's a priest, he knows, he knows the scriptures, he knows the prophecies, he knows this story of, um, I guess, different things that God's been saying to the people throughout time, that there is a Messiah that's coming. And he says, this is, this is happening now. And what um, him, him saying this is an important statement because it's kind of answering a question that's been burning in everybody's minds. The people have been saying, where is our God? Does God hear us? Does God care? We've been longing for deliverance. When will he come and save us? And Zechariah says, hold on. God made a promise and he's going to be faithful to that. The Jewish people had been waiting, they'd been hoping. Things had not been going so well for them. The kingdom of Israel had been going pretty strong. People were living in peace and following God. And then under um, a series of kind of broken and just pretty horrible rulers, some of them, um, the people turned away from God. And there was just a lot of calamity, kind of series of just kind of series of unfortunate events, if anybody has read that book series, kind of similar vibe for for Israel. So the, the northern part of the kingdom had been subdued and taken away by a foreign nation, the Assyrians, and that was kind of never to be seen again. And then the southern part of the kingdom was similarly similarly taken over by the Babylonians. So, you know, things are bad in the north, things are bad in the south. And the people have been taken into exile. And eventually they've been allowed to return and to rebuild their homes, only to be taken over again by the Romans. Who, um, so, so the history books tell us were pretty rugged people to be um, kind of oppressed under. So they, they've been under the pump, really. And throughout all this, they were kind of clinging to these promises. They were clinging to hope, clinging to the words that had come through the prophets and were wondering when, when, is, um, when are things going to be set right? The prophets had spoken of a Messiah that would come to set things right and that this Messiah would be a descendant of David, um, would be the, the greatest king of Israel, um, and that he would bring freedom to the people and peace. So the people held on to that, and they held on to the promise that God had made through Abraham, through his covenant, and they've been waiting whilst they've been under occupation for years. And Zechariah comes to say, this Messiah is almost here. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to redeem his people. And he cites the, the promises um, that have been made. So in other words, God is faithful and he keeps his promises and he hears the cries of God's children. That's what, that's what Zechariah's heart's cry is in this passage. And it, that had just run true in his life, as we remember. He had just had a baby. And so the message that Zechariah says and that, that I'm sharing tonight is that God is faithful. But what does that mean while you're still waiting? Because Zechariah and the people were still waiting. And that, that, can be, that can be tricky. So there's this um, cool thing, which I, I feel like I just promo every time I speak, um, called the Bible Project, um, who do these beautiful illustrations um, to kind of go alongside the story of, of different books from the Bible and different kind of biblical themes to, to tell story. And um, they, they have this cool thing that they say about hope, which is that the concept of hope, biblical hope, is rooted in God's character. When you're still kind of waiting and, and hoping, you've got God's character to hold on to. And the Israelites, they knew this. 
They had this promise from God um, that a Messiah would come, and they were holding on to that. And they knew there was times when God had been faithful in the past, and they were holding on to that. They would retell the stories of Exodus and of God's rescue and, and how kind of Moses helped me get through the desert and that big adventure. Um, they would tell those stories while they were waiting to hold on to God's character, to hold on to God's faithfulness, to hold on to the stories of the past, um, to give them hope as they looked forward. And so this is, this is my first point tonight, is that um, our past experiences and the, the stories of the people that we're connected to and how God has been at work in them, that is what we hold on to in the times of waiting. God's character is what we hold on to. We look back at God's faithfulness while we look forward in hope. We look back while we look forward. And the second thing um, that I think this little the story of Zechariah says to us is that while we wait, um, as best we can, it's good to keep our hearts and minds open for, for what our hope is going to look like. Because, yeah, I guess the people had been kind of taken over by oppressors um, the, the Israelites, they'd had these kind of big, mighty, sort of macho oppressors come in. And then they would, had these promises from God that, yep, God is going to give you this great king, this great Messiah. And so I think they just kind of equated like, okay, if he's going to be great, he's going to need to be like so macho and tough and like take out these bad guys that keep taking us over. Like they made some assumptions there about what that would look like. They had these kind of pieces of the puzzle um, from the prophets throughout the ages, and they figured that he was going to liberate them from all this oppression um, by these foreign powers um, with might. He was going to come in power and might and wipe out the Romans so he could establish his own kingdom, a kingdom where people could live free from oppression. And so they were expecting like a political messiah or a military messiah. And that had become very much the focus of like what they were looking for. I've told this story before, um, but I think I find it really interesting around um, when you're looking for something, how much you have predetermined what you're looking for helps you to see. Um, I think I have told this story before, but I just, it's just like such a good point. Um, a few years ago, I was staying with some friends at a Airbnb, and they had like a little, there was an instruction book that we'd found that had like the Wi-Fi password and like details about where the vacuum cleaner was kept and like all that kind of critical information. And in my memory, the book was blue. And I was like, oh guys, we need to find that book because it's got the information about how the, the gas works and blah. They're like, yeah, 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 we need to find the book. And so I was kind of scurrying around looking for the book. I was like, where is it? Huh? Getting really frustrated. And, um, and then said to my friend, I was like, oh, I can't find the blue book anywhere. And um, he was like, ah. Oh, you mean the red book? It's right here. And it was just like sitting there on the table whilst I was kind of scurrying around looking for it. But in my, um, in my poor memory of what the book looked like, one thing, and in my assumption of what I was looking for, I just totally missed it. And I think, yeah, we can, we can all do that. And that's, you can't really blame these guys for, for doing that, but that's, that's sort of what's happening here. In the, in the context... Um, of Jesus' birth, a lot of people missed it because they were looking for something else. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth, um, their story is one of prophesying um, one of a, a tender mercy of our God, a tender God who's bringing this light to shine 
on those in darkness and to guide those people living in the shadow of death into a path of peace. So he's really contending for, for something that's a bit different, a path of peace, um, and that peace was just was the red book, not the blue book. So God comes to Zechariah, and through Zechariah and Elizabeth, who um, kind of had their hopes dashed about having a child, and suddenly their hopes are restored, he says to them, um, your son is going to be instrumental in going ahead of my chosen Messiah. And initially, what we read in Zechariah's story is that his heart heart wasn't open for God to be at work in that, but God kind of opened his perspective and, and kind of went ahead with his plans anyway. I think we can, we can do that too. We can kind of have our expectations of how our hopes are going to be fulfilled and we can have kind of a closed perspective and there's a real challenge for us to have an, open, an open-mindedness and an open-heartedness about how, um, how our hopes will be fulfilled. To stay, um, to stay wide in our view of God, how, um, how will you meet me in this? How will you be at work in this? And so the same Zechariah that was um, quite, I guess, close to God's work is now the one that's proclaiming to the people to be open-minded about what's about to come. He's urging the people of Israel to be open-minded around the Saviour who's coming to fulfil their hopes. That he's, he's close, he's just about to arrive, but he might not be what you expected. Zechariah, Zechariah says, Yes, someone is coming to give salvation from our enemies enemies, and from the hand of all who hate us. He will bring the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. He will be a light to those living in darkness. He will guide our feet into the path of peace. And then as we know, the Saviour Jesus came and so many people missed it. You can think of that story um, on Palm Sunday where everybody was waving palms, which are like a symbol of military oppression um, and what was it, Jewish resistance, kind of, to like a kind of, it was effectively like a big kind of like that to the Romans <laughs> with, with, with their palm branches. It was kind of like, yeah, this is it. This is the time of uprising. This is the Messiah. Um, and yeah, a few days later, Jesus is dying on a cross and the people couldn't see that there was a bigger work of liberation from hopelessness that God was working. And I guess what's, What's crazy about that it was, is that it was the religious and the political elite who missed Jesus so badly. The people who had been longing for his arrival were the ones that put him to death. So when we wait, when we're um, in those spaces of, of waiting and of hoping, Zechariah's story, Zechariah's invitation is to wait with an, an open-handedness and an open-heartedness about the possibilities of what God is working And I think in particular, the invitation is for us to hope deeply. Like, if there's a specific thing you're hoping for, hope deeply, but stay open-minded. And I think, yeah, I just really want to come back to this thing around how God seems to specifically be at work in very hopeless situations. Chooses Abraham and Sarah, infertile. Chooses Elizabeth and Zechariah also infertile, to like have children that would be part of this massive story, and then chooses a virgin to also give birth. So like just really God is going against the odds. Um, And so if there is a a space um, in your life where you're feeling like things are really bleak, um, 
the belief that we have, the, the hope that we have is that God can work in the, the tiniest cracks of hope. Hope deeply, but stay open-minded. So point one, we, we look back to where God's been faithful as we look forward. Point two, we wait with open hearts. We hope deeply, but we stay open. And the final, the final thing, um, returning to Zechariah's song, is that um, as we, we hold the knowledge that God hears the things that we hope for and that we long for, we remember um, to give thanks and praise even whilst we're waiting. So at this moment when Zechariah's lips burst forth, the Messiah hasn't come yet. And yet he says, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He speaks with, with thankfulness, with gratitude, even, um, even though it's kind of not a done deal yet. He's, he's, um, he's not doing that um, don't count your chickens before they hatch thing. He's just like, yeah, the chickens. The whole song is the song of praise and thanksgiving, which is courageous. It's really courageous. To be given thanks even while Israel is still oppressed from the Romans, even while the Messiah hasn't been born yet, even while his son John probably hasn't shown any kind of prophetic skills as a baby. What Zechariah is doing um, is something that is, to, is kind of reverberating through the Psalms, which is this um, idea of offering a, offering a sacrifice of thanksgiving. In Psalm 107, there's a line that says, Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and tell of his deeds and songs of joy. In Psalm 116, it says, I will offer you a sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. Or in Hebrews 13, it says, Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. And I think it's... Um, I think it's kind of authentic of the scriptures to say, oh, it actually is a sacrifice. It is costly to be grateful and to um, choose to say thank you. But you guys probably know this. There's probably been times when you've said thank you when you didn't really feel that thankful. Maybe you were a kid and you there was some like vegetables on your plate that you were like not very thankful for. But, you know, it's like, Someone cooked me some dinner, so I'm going to say thank you, and I'm going to live in to that thank you. And so, yeah, I just want to offer that, that there are times when it can feel like a real, giving thanks can be a real sacrifice, and it costs us something to tell God that we are grateful, and we would rather say, stay silent. And, yeah, I, I'm, I, we're not saying um, in this that there isn't a place for lament and actually acknowledging what's hard. There definitely is. But there's also a place, um, and it's, it's important to, even um, in those spaces of, of hard times, to, to practice gratitude. Um, something that I do um, when I'm feeling quite bleak about things is I um, practice like counting and observing colours and just being like, thank you, God, for blue. Thank you for green. <laughs> just like... I don't know, trying to, trying to notice things and trying to just, um, I guess, like, ground myself in things. Because I think a lot of our, um, I don't know, I'm just going to speak for you guys here. Um, when we can get, like, down in the dumps about things, it um, can get quite caught in your head, right? And so actually just, like, doing the noticing of what's in front of you and realizing, like, there is a sun. I drank some water today. Like, I have somewhere to sleep tonight. I mean, hopefully, you know? that Those practices of... Um, 
it can feel like a sacrifice, but actually I think it, um, it reorients us and it, um, yeah, it teaches us, it teaches us um, to connect with God even when our feelings. So these verses tell us that our response to God's faithfulness is, is thanksgiving even when we haven't seen what we're longing for. So there's this call to give thanks even in the midst of waiting. And as we wait for God, the giver of good gifts, to give us what we long for, we give thanks to reorientate ourselves from a culture of, um, you know, perhaps self-entitlement or, um, yeah, just, just I guess, forgetting that there are good things, getting lost in ourselves. In First Thessalonians um, 5, it says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so just to, to recap, this is, this is where we end tonight. Point one, um, as we wait, we, we know that God's faithful. We remember God's character. We look back as we look forward. Point two, while we wait, we try and keep an open heart to hope deeply, but to stay, to stay open-minded. And as we wait, um, there's the, the growing and the learning to adopt a posture of praise, a sacrifice of thanksgiving.